Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet and archived at nhtalkradio.com for your binge listening pleasure. You can join my dozens of listeners who listen to us on Google, Stitcher Play, Apple iTunes, all the hip podcasts because we are so hip here at nhtalkradio.com and we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to be joined in the studio by my good friend John Bressler. And this is a special day, folks. After a couple of years on the air, I finally figured out how to work the board. And we're sitting, we're sitting here across from each other talking into these big honking mics, just like it was Imus in the morning or Howard Stern or any of those really exciting people. But it's just me and Johnny. Hey, Johnny, welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes. Thank you so much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here today, especially since I've been a little under the weather. Uh, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to chat with you about the ongoing circus that we've been living through since uh, a few weeks before the election. I gotta say, this week I breathed a sigh of relief for the Republic. It was, it was, you know, I was cautiously optimistic. Uh, I, I, I didn't sense that we were gonna have a soon, you know, a 2010 tsunami. Uh, but I was hopeful that we would have at least a, a cascading wavelet, and I think we got certainly a bit of a blue wave. We got a return to sanity, um, given uh, the results of, that the Dems have now taken uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. We were always going to lose seats in the Senate, and here in New Hampshire. Uh, now that Democrats will control the House of Representatives, the state Senate, and the Executive Council, we're going to have an ex- a, a a check uh, and some accountability on um, the governor, who is an amiable, affable guy and who's done some okay things, but. Overall, um, frankly, his agenda has been a corporatist, elitist agenda. He's now under investigation. Paul, I think that's not fair at all. You don't? Because you, you think I'm being too kind? No, he beat the governor of Vermont in drag racing school buses. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, after all, that, that, that's the kind of thing that we really care about in New England. Hey, hey up, okay, here we are. We're getting into our school bus. I'm, I got my gear shift lever here, over here. I'm going to close the door. You, you kids, you just sit down and back because I'm drag racing the governor of, of New Hampshire right now. We're going out there. We're going to find a nice parking lot over at the Walmart, and we're going we're gonna to drag, drag race our school buses. But I, I hope I win. Tomorrow, I expect he'll be checking out the snowplows. Well, look, it's really what it the the New Hampshire results relegate the governor to the kind of role that the governor's office in New Hampshire enjoys so profusely, which is a very, very weak role for the governor. I mean, the executive council has to sign off on all the appointments, has to sign off on the contracts, uh, the legislative 
Um, we're going to see legislative initiatives now coming from the House and the Senate. And it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not Governor Sununu is going to pull out the veto pen uh, for all the good things the Democrats are going to want to do to help kids get an education, to help middle class people uh, with kitchen table uh, economics that really help people instead of just giving giveaways to corporations. It's going to be really interesting to see what the governor does when it comes to energy, because I think we're going to see some significant initiatives that will help push New Hampshire into the 21st century instead of keeping us in the 19th century. And the governor, who has talked a game about cooperation and reaching across the aisle, I think is going to be put to the test. Well, let's let's unpack that. There was a lot in your your comment there. You know, I always go on and on. I, I but he did mention the veto pen on election night that he wouldn't be afraid to use it. Kind of echoing John Lynch, who ended up in the same situation. Thank goodness. With uh, a uh, House and Senate in New Hampshire who were all Republican, and then being able to uphold a veto. In fact, Lynch was so. It's that same kind of purple problem that we have here where the undeclared party is the largest party in New Hampshire and they don't stay in one place. If they're not happy with your results, you're gone. Um, I'll never for, I'll never forget a guy. I, I just I just won my race for Congress. I was feeling wonderful about it. I was looking forward to representing the good people of the second district in the state of New Hampshire. I I went to some event and uh, was talking to the guy about it. And he said, well, you may have won this time, but just wait two years. You know, we don't really like to keep people around around here. We we, we let them go. We want, you know, you, you so you better watch out because we'll be watching. You don't do your job. You're gone. Well, that, that old-time New Hampshire Republican who loved Charlie Bass in six terms of doing nothing, and that's what they expected you to do if they elected you. Don't do too much. Well, you know, that's always been the watchword about uh, who uh, who gets elected uh, governor, except now we got some real issues in New Hampshire that need attending to. So we've made a beginning on an opioid crisis. We gave this huge tax cut to our, to corporations. We've got to get our schools set for a 21st century economy. We're not keeping young people. The governor came in with this promise of attracting businesses, um, but we haven't seen a, a migration. We have not seen a business invasion in New Hampshire of the kind the governor promised. Well, you highlight education, and obviously the investment in public education is what businesses look for. I think that the check that you, you know, aptly point out that the, the change in Concord brings a check on Frank Edelblue, who has been a really horrible education commissioner trying to peel money out of the public common wheel and put it into religious education they and private want a, They schools. want a voucher system for religious schools and private schools and charter so, schools. So they just want to strip it away from public education, which is not the smart way to build an educated workforce and a skilled workforce that businesses will want in order to come here. Well, you know, there's a lot positive that will come out of the results from Tuesday night, and we're just beginning to really understand what it means. But in the national scene, I'm reminded, especially by the uh, spectacle of the press conference that we saw yesterday, 
uh, of the President of the United States, there's an oft-attributed uh, quote of Sinclair Lewis, which in searching for it uh, recently and doing some, some research, turns out no uh, experts in Sinclair Lewis's work can find the attribution. But the phrase is that when fascism comes to the United States, it will come wrapped in the flag and carrying a cross. Uh, there you go. And there's a really interesting um, analysis of what goes on inside Trump rallies where people cheer for God, they cheer for building the wall, and they yell, lock her up. Right. And in their alternative reality, patriotism equals Donald Trump. And I think from a worldwide perspective, the world has not been more, and to use David Remnick's term, the editor of the New Yorker magazine, world leaders have not been as freaked out about America as any time in anyone's lifetime. So, As they are now. Yeah, as they are now, where, where the smoke clouds were gathering in the, because when Sinclair Lewis wrote in the early 30s, there were other people who did write similar things about the coming of fascism to Europe. The point was made often that the United States would see a different type of fascism, not a Mussolini or you know, we don't have the the empire that Japan had, but rather in the guise of Western expansion, uh, the rugged individualist and the self-made man. Well, look, Trump was elected partly because he was able to smear, demean, uh, and put down politicians who had never seen his like before. Um, he re- a reality TV star with no brains, but uh, lots of uh, dirty talk. Um, an immoral, ignorant, crooked, mobster-type boss who we hope will see his comeuppance. And he's acted that way, um, presiding over the perhaps the most corrupt, most ignorant, most backward uh, administration in American history. He is, without a doubt, in my view, the worst president, uh, certainly in modern times and perhaps in the entire history of this country. He represents the basest, the worst, the lowest, the ugliest instance of America. I have to say, while, while thinking along these terms today, I realized that it's almost as if George Wallace and Richard Nixon are residing in one person. <laughs> they had a baby, and his name was Donald Trump. Yes. But, uh. but the good news is that we now have a Congress, a House of Representatives, the People's House, uh, which is going to have a lot of new representatives. It's going to have a lot of new blood. It's going to be diverse. It's going to the majority is going to be diverse. It will have lots of new women. It will have lots of new ethnic minorities. It will have all kinds of representations of what America really wants to be a diverse tolerant, forward-looking country that rises above partisan politics, that holds government accountable to be effective, and looks to the future to create a secure foundation that Americans can all enjoy so that all Americans, regardless of race, creed, color, sexual preference, or political party, have an opportunity to succeed and to prosper. It's that 
universal opportunity for prosperity and success that is the essence of America. And Trump just never cared about it. What he cared about was lining his own pockets, his kids' pockets, his company's pockets, and his cronies' pockets. And now there's going to be some accountability. I breathed a sigh of relief for the republic because, personally, I was, I was and have been dearly, dearly afraid for the very foundations of this country. One commentator who was a Holocaust scholar uh, made an interesting comment that I saw the other day, which was, you know, this scholar said, many people have been saying, this is how it starts. This is how the rise of fascism, the fall to authoritarianism starts. She, and she said, that they're wrong. Because it hasn't started, we're well along the way. And until this Tuesday, we were well along the way to an authoritarian, uh, fear-mongering regime that had no check, but only complicit enablers. Complicit enablers. And now there's going to be a check. And for all those who wear a Republican designation... Let me just say it's up to you to rescue your party, to bring your party back to rescue to, our country to normalcy, because the Repu- there, there is no more Republican Party. It's the Trump Party. And the Trump Party, in my view, is not what, a, what Republicans are about. Republicans have been about integrity. Richard Nixon put in the EPA. Republicans have been about small government and low taxes, sure, but they've been about country. There's nothing that Donald Trump is really about when it comes to country, because Trump has only been about Trump. So, so again, as we look at the results of Tuesday night and the pretty radical shift in Washington, a couple of things come to mind about past history and what it means for our near future. After the Watergate uh, trial, every federal bureau and department had to be investigated because of the corruption that was rife throughout the government based on the terrible appointments. So there's a lot to do and a lot to fix. I've been talking with John Bressler. This is Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can binge listen to our shows to your heart's content. Join my dozens of listeners who go to Google and Stitcher and Apple Play to listen to the hip podcast type thing that this broadcast becomes. We've been talking about the presidential election. We're going to take a break. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We'll be back after a break to talk with Peter Emerson, a frequent contributor to MSNBC, about the state of play in politics in the United States. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com and archived there for your 
binge listening pleasure. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, I'm very pleased to welcome a special guest, a dear friend, a longtime political analyst, a frequent contributor to MSNBC, past scholar in residence at Harvard, a very smart guy with a good eye on all things political. Peter Emerson, welcome back to Off the Record. So delighted to join you, particularly after the results on Tuesday. Well, it's been quite a week. I was up, uh, I was up pretty late, crossing my fingers, watching, watching returns come in. There were many successes for the Democrats, I wouldn't call it a wave or a tsunami, but it it certainly um, it certainly was a change in the tide. Indeed, it was, and it gives some hope that the democracy might be saved from the many unconstitutional, unethical, and certainly, in many cases, illegal activities. But unfortunately, this administration, in concert with the Republican-controlled Senate, had perpetuated on the American public since 2016. Yeah, it, you know, in a divided nation uh, the way ours is, and a nation in which a significant percentage of people seem willing to buy the crazy line put out by uh, 45 about, you know, just preying on fears and insecurities, trying to gin up a an invasion where none existed, among other things, in the last few days to rally his base. Um, we see, I think, a somewhat uh, upset, depressed, contrite Trump, although he's trying to appear bold and cocky. Uh, recent headlines, for example, include Donald Trump Jr. worried about um, indictments for lying to the FBI about the uh, Trump Tower Russia meeting. Um, and I'm sure, given uh, my former colleagues who now will be heading various committees in the House of Representatives, uh, the White House has to be panicking. I completely agree. I just hope Democrats, including our friend uh, Steve Cullen, the current congressman who introduced the impeachment bill over a year ago, will put those uh, legislative issues aside and concentrate on two things. One, policy that will be good for all Americans, particularly as it relates to health care, infrastructure and jobs and then second but co-currently also begin to investigate what so many journalists including inspector generals within cabinet agencies and independent agencies have already concluded that there has been a literally epidemic of not just unethical behavior but oftentimes illegal behavior for instance the current secretary of the interior I expect that we will see some resignations fairly quickly since it's not in, in those people's interest to stay officially in an office when it might be easier for them to defend themselves as a private citizen. Well, you know, when I served in Congress, I served with, uh, as I say, um, all the people who have been uh, named or who will take over the chair of various committees, Adam Schiff on intelligence, Jerry Nadler on judiciary, and of course judiciary is also the home of Stephen Cohen, our good friend and a real fighter for justice. 
Frank Pallone on energy, Steve Neal on ways and means, Nita Lowy on appropriations. And those various committees will have uh, some pretty interesting work to do. And, of course, let's not forget um, uh, Elijah Cummings, who will take over the the committee that I sat on, the Oversight and Government Reform Committee, where there's going to be some oversight for the first time. It's it's somewhat reminiscent uh, back in 2006 when we took the majority as Democrats uh, for that time. I asked to serve with Henry Waxman on that Oversight and Government Reform Committee because I wanted to get into what had happened in the war in uh, Iraq, what had really happened. And what we found, of course, was... I, I should say not shocking, uh, but it certainly was crazy making. And I have a feeling that Elijah Cummings has a long list on oversight and government reform of issues that he wants to look into, as does Jerry Nadler on judiciary. And we may see subpoenas coming. So here, given what you you said, Peter, and very wisely about what Democrats ought to focus on, how are Democrats going to balance the investigative work that needs to be done because that's the job of Congress to exercise accountability and oversight. How are they going to balance that with some of the value-based priorities um, of both reform and policy that they're going to need to really become known for? Because my sense is that if they... If there's a trap waiting, and uh, it's a pretty clever trap of uh, just uh, just investigating and not getting to policy and uh, reform, how how are they going to strike that balance? And do you see any hope uh, or a chance that the leadership of the Democratic Party gets what we're talking about? I do, and I think the answer to your question is they must reelect Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. Uh, as far as the rest of the old-time crew in terms of leadership, I'm not so concerned. But Nancy Pelosi is the only one who has the experience, the authority, and certainly the expertise to walk that very fine line. No doubt about it. So sorry, I'm in an airport. I hope your listeners will forgive me. That's okay. So while you listen to that, while you listen to the uh, loudspeaker in, in the airport, let me just say that, you know, I was privileged to serve with Nancy Pelosi as the first female speaker of the House of Representatives. And at the time in 2006 and 2008, she did a truly magnificent job of corralling Democrats, and it was her work, frankly, and her leadership that made it possible to pass what was then the highly unpopular health care reform. Uh, uh, very unpopular. She had to really work to collect the votes, especially among the what were then a cadre of blue dog Democrats or conservative Democrats who uh, feared for their political lives if they voted for health care. And in fact, for many of them, uh, they were going to be taken out in 2010 anyway by the Tea Party. But it was her leadership that did it. In the intervening time, there have been numerous calls from the left, from progressives, from many, many people who see a new crop coming into Congress, a new majority, and have been calling for new leadership at the very top. 
um, people are concerned that Nancy Pelosi, as the face of the Democratic Party in the People's House, is not necessarily the face that we want to be putting forward to the world, given the scorched earth approach to de- de- uh, making her uh, Satan incarnate that the Republicans uh, have been using for quite a few years. Um, what's wrong with uh, having her do the work but putting up a younger face for the party, Peter? I think that's actually a very good suggestion. Let's not forget, as I'm sure you have not, since you and I are in agreement on so many of the important issues, but right now across America, um, beginning with the trade wars, whether it be soybean farmers, whether it be pigs and hogs in terms of trade with other countries, jobs, despite the job numbers for a number of people, it's a very, very difficult time. Clean air, clean water, the respiratory illnesses are on the uprise. What the Trump administration has done to gut the very basic, essential um, elements of a clean and healthy life must be restored as quickly as possible. Since the House of Representatives, as you know better than anyone, is the first strings, that could be very possible. The issue of the investigations will not go away. There's no worry about statute of limitations in many of these instances. So if it doesn't start for six months or a year, I'm not concerned about it. In terms of the face of the Democratic Party, the question I've been asking, having been one of those calling for a much younger leadership, is if not Nancy Pelosi, who? And there is no answer to that question. None. Well, There's no young yeah. person that has the expertise and the experience that Nancy Pelosi did. Well, you know... However... Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, however, I like your idea that you could have Nancy Pelosi somewhat behind the scenes operating uh, as she does so effectively, and you pointed out there's no question the uh, Affordable Health Care Act would not have passed without Nancy Pelosi, but we could put up one or two very young people who are the face of the Democratic Party. I think someone like Beto O'Rourke would have been fantastic but someone along that line who can energize young people and bring them back into the system, since in many cases, at least nationally, young people have not voted. I mean, right now, Paul, as you know, the media and political commentators are celebrating the fact that 49% of registered voters voted. That's despicable. Yeah, well, 49%. And, and, it, and, and it looks like a record. Yeah, that it's a record. Barbados has 98% voting yeah. among its citizens. I mean, it's really extraordinary that we call ourselves a democracy, and we're celebrating the fact that less than 50% of Americans who voted, who could vote, voted. Well, so, cert- certainly one of, the, one of the reforms that could be taken up that would be very popular, uh, and, and I think ought to be bipartisan, although the Republicans don't want Democrats voting, they don't want minorities voting, they don't want college kids voting, but one of the reforms could be to the voting processes in this country and uh, trying to push push for making voting easier, making voting more convenient, making voting more consistent with the 21st century, and uh, putting in um, some kind of of coordinated approach while the states will 
still remain in control of their various voting procedures, I think something can be done at the federal level and it might prove to be popular. I'll tell you what, Peter, let's take a break right here. We'll be back with more uh, from Peter Emerson on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour, celebrate life with the Birches by calling 224-9111. We'll be back in a few shakes. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can join my dozens of listeners who enjoy binge listening. You can also find us on Google, Stitcher, Apple Play, just like all the hip podcasts out there. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. And we're back with my good friend, political analyst, MSNBC contributor, really smart guy with lots of experience around the globe in politics, Peter Emerson. Welcome back, Peter. Thanks so much. Let me apologize to your listeners. I am at the airport, and so there's an occasional uh, announcement. I've just actually been in Charlotte uh, meeting with a four-star general who just retired, uh, who is in charge of all the transportation for the Pentagon all over the world. And I must say, as a Democrat, as a liberal progressive, often being critical of the military, this is an amazing patriot, and it's something that the Democratic Party needs to learn to embrace and understand much better than we have in the past, and that is the men and women who serve this country at all various levels, and better to support them in constructive ways than to always be oftentimes critical. Well, that's true. And, you know, I will hasten to point out, however, that Republicans can talk a big game about helping veterans and helping the military. But frankly, in my experience, it's always been the Democrats who've stepped up and actually done the things that our veterans and our military uh, really need. Um, that veterans health care under the Democrats is, has, has, has been a, a priority that uh, where things have gotten better. And Republicans can talk again, but I'm afraid I've seen a lot of hip- hypocrisy. But let's put that aside for a moment, because there's an issue I want to talk to you about that, that I think is a, a great moment. And that happens uh, to be about the Mueller investigation, the Russia investigation, and what we may see and, and how it works. Because uh, as we saw this week at the president's request, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, uh, no liberal, a a deeply, deeply conservative guy who who helped run the Trump campaign, who was committed to the Trump agenda, and who, in perhaps the the an, an, an act of ethics that was shocking, had to recuse himself from the Russia investigation because he's involved. He submitted his resignation this week. In other words, the president fired him. It looks like the president plans to appoint a fellow named Whitaker, who, from all uh, indications, would appear to be uh, quite a bit more of a hack uh, than uh, an independent uh, attorney general. And if Whitaker gets in, uh, what will it take to put him in? Can he get put in in the next six weeks? What does that mean for the Mueller investigation? And 
what happens if the president tries to get uh, Mueller fired before the Democrats take control of Congress? Well, multiple questions. Here are the answers as best I can give them. Number one, why not a hack the uh, Department of Justice? We just put a hack on the Supreme Court. Kavanaugh is as much a political hack and loyalist to the Trump uh, administration as Whitaker is as well. Second, my uh, understanding from friends on the Senate side is that McConnell will use this opportunity, particularly before the Democrats take control of the House, which they don't do, as you well know, until the new Congress comes in in January, to not only ram through uh, multiple conservative, one could say right-wing federal judges, but also could possibly try to confirm Whitaker. And then third, the great and sense of comfort I take is that if there is any brilliant strategist, tactician, on the scene today in the various worlds that revolve around these ethical and legal issues um, related to the campaign, to the Russians, um, it's Mr. Mueller, who without a doubt, I suspect, has made sure that his investigation and the results of that investigation have been spread among multiple agencies, that is to say, not just at the federal level, but also at the state level, and also at this, uh, uh, you know, uh, federal courts up and down the East Coast. So even though it does look like Trump may try to fire Mueller, or in, I think that's unlikely, I, I should say, I think he'll follow the Whitaker plan, which is to basically starve Mueller and his team to death by cutting their budget. I don't think that allows Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, the Secretary of the Interior, uh, Roger Stone, or any of those people from avoiding the fact that they are going to be wearing orange jumpsuits very soon. Well, that's uh, from your, as they say, as my people say, from your lips to God's ears. Um, we can only hope. I mean, I think orange uh, is, uh, or, you know, orange is the new Givenchy. I mean, they'll 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 look great. It's like uh, it's like wearing polo, but it'll be orange jumpsuits. And and if only if only um, that could apply to the president. But it's it seems unlikely to me that in all of this, in whatever jubilation Democrats have in taking over the House of Representatives. Um, I think that uh, the prospects for moving on impeachment are pretty distant, don't you? I agree completely. I, I want to add one other thing, is that you have David Nunes, the former chairman, who obviously was in collusion with the White House in obstructing justice. So I think that there could be internal investigations within the House of Representatives to look at the unethical, perhaps illegal behavior of several elected representatives um, during the Republican control since 2016. So it's a multifaceted uh, opportunity for Democrats. But again, I think you and I are both in agreement. We have, have to focus on what both allowed Democrats to win around the country, in some cases with simply traffic and um, infrastructure repair. In many cases, it was health care, pre-existing conditions. If Democrats in the House do not focus on what Americans need, need, uh, as opposed to just going after the investigative opportunities, then I think we'll not only have failed the American people, but we should be then voted out in two years. I sense a somewhat uh, different um, uh, tenor 
among my former colleagues uh, in the House of Representatives than uh, I was met with as a freshman member of Congress in 2006, coming in with George Bush as president with the Iraq war raging. Um, For one thing, it had been 12 years since Democrats had um, uh, had the majority. Fully 70 percent of the caucus had never served in the majority. Um, Now, this time around and 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 the and the and the threats posed by the war in Iraq were, how do I say, not the kind of existential threat to the foundations of our republic that are posed by the corruption, uh, the naked narcissism, the complete lack of integrity, the lack of transparency, and the and the utter ignorance of this president and this White House. The, the corruption here is so total that I think... At least what I'm sensing, and and I know you're also close to many members, both in the Senate and the House, a kind of seriousness of purpose that is quite different, and I'm hoping will serve the Democrats in the House of Representatives and those remaining in the Senate well between now and the 2020 election. I'm in agreement with you. I think there is a seriousness and a recognition that the opportunity the Democrats have been given now in the majority in the House of Representatives, could be squandered very, very quickly. And consequently, uh, the opportunity also in 2020, when the Republicans have many more seats up in the Senate, and it provides the opportunity for Democrats to take back the Senate as well. And the fact that, actually, in many ways, the Democrats in the House now have an opportunity to get some significant accomplishments legislatively, because Trump, I do believe, is in a position and a mindset to compromise. Right. He'll work with Democrats. He'll work. He doesn't yeah. care. I mean, because what he'll want to do is he'll say, yeah, look, I want to make a deal. Uh, we'll make a deal. I'll, I can make a deal with Democrats. He could turn. He he's he is quite brilliant. He could just simply turn it on a dime while being investigated. Say, hey, I used to be friends with Democrats. I could be friends with Democrats again. Let's get all this great stuff done. The Democrats agenda uh, will be to help the American people. They'll get great stuff done. Trump will then take all try to take all the credit for it in 2020. It's a perfect scenario for him. Completely agree with you. Completely agree with it. And the fact that we have, I don't know what it is, 20, 25 candidates pretty much surfacing rapidly with Joe Biden apparently announcing early in the new year, we don't have any real Democratic leadership. And consequently, that void, which is going to be played out in various primaries, et cetera, et cetera, because we have to obviously acknowledge with your listeners, since New Hampshire is the first stop, this campaign for the presidency in 2020 begins basically on January 2nd in New Hampshire. Well, it actually, believe it or not, Peter, I always say it began, uh, let's see, the elections were Tuesday, it began Wednesday. That, I think you're right. That's when... That's when, corrected. That's, that, that, we're, on the road to, we're on the road to 2020, and, you know, people are already talking. Republicans are going to be talking about Jeff Flake. They're going to be talking about uh, Governor Kasich. Uh, and Democrats are going to be looking at a very, very big field. The field is so big, in fact, that Newsweek magazine had some commentator write an op-ed saying that even though Beto O'Rourke did not win in Texas... 
the now former congressman from the El Paso Uh, Texas area ought to be considering a run for government because uh, the article said, look, when Democrats uh, elect uh, Democrats uh, nominate a cerebral experienced candidates, think uh, John Kerry, think Hillary Clinton, um, think Al Gore, they lose when they nominate candidates who've got some kind of pizzazz, some kind of special it factor, some kind of bright light. Uh, like uh, Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, somebody who captures people's imagination with a lot of spirit, uh, Democrats win. And certainly, given the uh, experience in 2016, Michael Avenetti notwithstanding, uh, the Democrats really are going to need somebody who can fire up this country and speak to a very broad swath of voters and get new voters to come out. And let me underscore that. That's the most important point that's being missed in the analysis of these previous uh, elections on Tuesday. Traditionally, Democrats are worried about getting their vote out, those registered voters who they want to get to the polls, who they know will vote for them. What Beto did and, and um, the wonderful woman in Brooklyn who won, the youngest woman to ever go to Congress, in fact, the youngest member of Congress, is they went after people who had never registered and if Democrats can bring together a forcible, energetic personality, as you talked about, telegenic like Beto, who recognize that it's not about just getting out the traditional Democratic vote, it's about getting people who have never voted registered and getting them to the polls, then Democrats could win in 2020. If we stay with our customary, it's a get-out-the-vote war between Democrats and Republicans, the Republicans generally are going to win because their base does get out. And with this president, he can fire them up with pleas of fear and anger that are far more powerful than our oftentimes meek and meager pleas to just vote because it's the right thing to do. So what about a Joe Biden? Certainly lots of experience and certainly a guy with lots of heart. Um, he uh, matches Trump in terms of age. They're, you know, they're on the they're on the other end. They're on the other end of the spectrum. But Joe's always had a, a pretty big spark. Is 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 it possible? Because he's right now among Democrats. It looks like uh, people are, are thinking sweetly about Joe Biden. They are. He certainly projects a tough and down-to-earth blue-collar image. I could see him deciding to announce that he'd be a one-term president, and he could invite someone like Senator Kamala Harris from California, Mitch Landrieu from the South, uh, other people possibly to be his running mate early on. It might be a very, very interesting strategy. But at the end of the day, I don't know if that brings out the young people that say someone better, a better O'Rourke brought out. So maybe now we're looking at um, a ticket that has to in somewhere include Beto O'Rourke, who's clearly the most energetic, exciting personality on the American uh, Democratic scene that we've seen since Barack Obama. Now, Peter, I know you got to get a plane in a, a very in a few moments, and I just want to say that you and I have talked a lot about Democratic message. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens because. Uh, what uh, I think I'm hoping we're going to see is Democrats come to an understanding that you're that we need an emotionally resonant message, that we need something that really speaks to the heart of the American electorate, that it's not going to be enough to say we're not 
Trump, and it's not going to be enough just to reel off policy issues, that the messaging for Democrats had better be a powerful emotional message uh, that, that, that touches the hearts and moves voters. we got to move the American electorate in 2020. Complete agreement. It took for too long for the cerebral, I remember, a senior advisor to John Kerry in 2004 after Kerry lost the election, claiming that voters actually voted on issues wrong. They vote on emotions. Those emotions can be tied to particular issues like pre-existing conditions, health care, jobs. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's emotions, 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 stupid, as James Carville once said at the economy during the Clinton campaign. That's it. We've been talking with Peter Emerson, a frequent contributor to MSNBC, a political analyst, a terrifically experienced uh, person in politics. Peter, thanks for joining us. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We'll be back after this to wrap up this week's edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes. We're back. It's Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet, archived at NHTalkRadio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. Well, what a week it has been. I stayed up late on Tuesday like all of you did, nail-biting, watching the results of an election, and our republic seems to have been saved. We talked with John Bressler, a really smart guy and an astute observer of the political scene, and we had a great conversation with Peter Emerson, our man about Washington, D.C., who knows which side of the coin his political bread is buttered on, about what Democrats need to do in order to succeed between here and 2020. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL. Thanks to our great sponsor, The Birches at Concord. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record on WKXL AM and FM.